0: Who watched it wrong. Welcome back to part two of You Awarded It Wrong for the film year 2020. And Wade was just about to say... <laughs> <laughs> the same exact thing! We're in sync. Uh,
1: Siggy and I are still in the middle of our deliciously heated throws of Oscar nominations for the films of 2020. Who we, who we think was going to win, who should win... And who we would pick were we running the show.
0: And we left off on the category of best documentary short. Documentary short. Of which I saw none.
1: Oh, well, I'm one up on you there. I saw less than that. (laughs) (laughs) That makes you one down on me? I don't know math. Um, I mean, as we said before, really, really glad we're still honoring shorts on such a high profile. And I didn't see one of them. Yeah, I'm going
0: to quote Fraser Thomas uh, from the old Bozo Show on WGN-TV <laughs> Chicago and say they're all winners. So uh, it's a five-way tie. Great job, okay. everybody.
1: There you go. Great job. Kay. Speaking of which, best live action short. One I hope yes. to win someday. Didn't see a one.
0: <laughs> did not see one of these either. Keep making them, folks. Keep turning watched, them out. Um, you know what? I did watch uh, some Jim Cummings shorts. I did, uh, too. I don't not? know if any of that came out in 2020, though. I I didn't I even know. think of that until just now. There were some good ones. I liked them.
1: Yeah, I really would take into those, those shorts, and I'm excited for his new movie, which just got a distributor for uh, The Beta Test, which I think just got yeah. a distributor through, I think, IFC Films, if everything goes right. So that's going to be very exciting. Yeah. In case you yeah, haven't I told, think... we talk a lot about Jim Cummings.
0: <laughs> we heard a lot about Jim Cummings and The Wolf of Snow Hollow in part one of this episode, but now we're in part two and we're talking about Best Adapted Screenplay. Now, Wade and I are both um, writers or uh, aspiring writers. We have written a screenplay together Mm -hmm. that got shot. Yeah, Uh, I don't uh, don't know if they finished editing it, but they shot that (laughs) thing. We we finished writing it.
1: We also started a few.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which I
1: do think we should do a show at some point talking about uh, our parody of the Phantom Menace before we knew what uh, the Phantom Menace was.
0: I don't know if there's a show's worth there, but <laughs> we we do need to tell that stories at some point, but not today. Not today. Today we're going to talk about best adapted screenplay. I've never tried to adapt a screenplay. You have. You have. I doing. have. Well, you shot an adapted. You shot an adapted screenplay. Uh, I did that, but yeah. I
1: also adapted a novel just to see if I could do it because I wanted to.
0: Oh, which uh, what novel? What? Well, I, I'd be sued. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, that sadly was not nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay by the Academy, but the following were... Mm. Uh, Please read
1: all their names. Please read all their <laughs> <okay>. names.
0: <laughs> Sasha Baron Conan, <laughs> Cohen, uh, Anthony Hines, Dan Swimer, Peter Bainham, Erica Ravenoya... Dan Mazur, Jenna Friedman, Lee Kern. Story by Sasha Karen, Karen Bowen. So it's the second time you said Sasha Anthony Karen. Anthony Haynes, Dan Swimer, and Nina Pedrad. Borat, subsequent movie film. That was quite a mouthful. You film. read all um, those names. <laughs> I'm sad Patton yeah. Oswalt isn't on there because he was a writer no. on the first on one. the first one. Yeah.
1: Um, Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller for The Father.
0: Chloe Zhao, Nomad Land. Kemp Powers, One Night in Miami. Ramin Barani, The White Tiger.
1: Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many of these have you seen?
0: Three of them The Father, Nomad Land, and One Night in Miami ellipsis. Mm. Controversial ellipsis.
1: I've seen four and a half of these. <laughs> I did start The White Tiger in the middle of the night, and I didn't get through it. And it's by no fault of its own. I I haven't gone back to it yet, but um, uh, I want to finish it. So it's because gotta sleep.
0: Gotta sleep. You need your sleep. I
1: tried my best for you, people. I really did. I only got through. You
0: appreciate it. You watched eighty one. Actually, I think it's eighty six. Is this counted? Do you count White Tiger? I have not counted White Tiger. No, no, I haven't counted.
1: I watched the first half. The first. uh, 25 minutes of uh, Pieces of a Woman, too,
0: and I, I've not finished that either, so. so I don't count that either. All right. Well, put those together. That's 100%, so you're good.
1: Okay, well, one, I- I'm not going to contest that Borat subsequent movie film should be included here because most of their things are written. You know, they they even write possible responses for live situations based on all the possible responses that they could get. Right. Um, it's like
0: they write a choose-your-own-adventure and then he watches one set of choices. Exactly.
1: However, and I I did think it was clever how Borat, subsequent movie film, wove into the narrative that Borat's now a recognizable face in America. Because that's the challenge the production was going to have. He can't go out and fool people if everyone knows who freaking Borat is. So then they, they, they cleverly address that, but they do it by him putting on outfits and wigs and Borat becoming other people. And then you know, in a way, I'm not watching Borat. I mean, I'm watching Borat, but I'm not really. Weirdly, even though they did some pretty daring things, the movie does feel like it, it's past its real prime, you know. That's what it felt like to me. So, like, um, as far as um, who will win, my money's on Land, pretty much
0: hands down, really. I find this one really hard uh, to predict it's very hard to predict cuz the the three that I Even I've though I seen, said hands
1: down I'm just being ballsy
0: <laughs> um the father nomad land and when at Miami. I could see all three of them winning I could like, too. which makes me think white Tiger's going to win <laughs> <laughs> cuz I could see all of those other three winning yeah Nomad land like feels the least like a written movie right. it feels more like a documentary a lot of the time than a than a scripted film
1: Well yeah that's part of the design
0: which is part of the power of it and so I just wonder if that's, like, going to seduce people to thinking it doesn't count or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, theoretically. You know, nominated, so I don't know. I
1: would actually like to read the screenplay because I kind of have a feeling that it was written in the edit room, which is still
0: writing. But uh, Yeah, I have no idea. So I'd, I want to say One Night in Miami just because it's, like, the most speechified movie. And that tends to, I don't know. I just think of, like, it's a cliche, but. It's good. It's a good script. I, I love. I love how yeah. cerebral that movie is. Yes,
1: it's very cerebral.
0: Yeah, um, I almost wished it was an article instead of a movie. <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> I might have enjoyed it more, uh, or just been able to dig into it more. Um, but it's. I think it's by a nose. I have no idea. I, I'll yeah. say one night in Miami will win. If I had what? to pick. I pick with that one. What do you think should win? win. Nomadland because it's the most. Like, it's one of the things as a writer, it's like, how did they know it was done? Yeah. You know? And it always seems like the writing I'm most impressed by is the one where I look at it and I'm like, I have no idea how they knew they were done, but it works.
1: Right. Well, like, there's the old adage that it's never done. You just have to stop. But, yeah, how did they know that it was now how, was the time to stop?
0: How they know it was good enough? you right. know, Like, it'd be so easy. You, like, you take Nomade Land and, like, the shape of that movie and... Like it doesn't, you know, if you think of all the rules of screenwriting, like it it doesn't it doesn't lean on any of them. Right. And it feels like a complete story. Yeah. You know? And so for me that's the most impressive thing.
1: Yeah, I think of all of these, the two the the two that you're dancing around is No Man Land and One Night Miami. And I I had it reversed. I had I I think No Man Land's gonna win and what should win is One Night Miami, but I am a little uncomfortable Mm. with that because No Man Land, like you said, is a complete circle. Whereas One Night, Miami has so much rich, wonderful things to think about and and to be impassioned by and all that stuff. And again, I haven't read the play, but there's stuff that definitely feel like this we did for the movie to give context to it and to fill it out a bit more, to not make it feel so much like a play. And that feels like the most unnecessary parts.
0: It feels feels bad, mostly. Right. Except for the Bow Bridges scene. Yeah. I didn't think any of it. Like, I just thought it was fat. Complete fat on the bone, and just needed to go. It may have even
1: been just fine to start with the Bo Bridges scene, and then that's it. You don't need to set up the other
0: people. Everyone else is like it's Muhammad Ali, and <laughs> I think you can cut the Bo Bridges scene too. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. It's really powerful. But I, I think it I think that movie starts in the hotel room. Yeah, like it starts and it starts, in, and I, it starts I, with the fight over.
1: I would imagine the play starts in the hotel room. Yeah, and, 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 and
0: no, right. It has to, and it right. just feels. Everything before that feels like padding. I thought it was a failure of writing.
1: you do right, exactly. It feels like padding. So while part of me wants to give it best screenplay, just because when they get there, it's gangbusters, wow! But yeah. everything leading up to it is just feels like you're right. It feels like padding. Whereas No Man Land does. I mean, from what I understand, and I haven't read the book. It's based that they're adapting, but they just use the book as a launching pad, and then they just go wherever they want to go.
0: Right, it's the know, way that uh, it, right? uh, There Will Be Blood was adopted from, <laughs> yeah, adapted right. from a, a book that it really wasn't adapted from. Yeah. Right, so, so, <laughs>
1: so is it a best adaption? I don't know, because I haven't really read with the source material. But uh, yeah, this, one I'm, this, this category has completely confounded me, actually, I have to confess, uh, until we get to what we think should have been. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, my number one is very clear. Yeah. Uh,
1: in this category. <laughs> I bet
0: it is. Okay. I'm going to go with my number five. I only had five uh, in this category. I didn't do a lot of research to find out what else was adapted. If it wasn't nominated, <laughs> you have like, to do work to find out. Um, my number five is uh, Jonathan Raymond and Kelly Reichardt, uh, First Cow, um, which a lot of it I really liked. The ending felt really arbitrary to me. It didn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like it completely told the story. Um, I didn't understand why it ended where it did, or why the characters made some of the choices as they did. And so, a lot of it, like there were huge. Most of it, I really, really liked though. Um, and so, uh, first cow was here for number five for me. What's your number five?
1: My number five is One Night Miami, mainly because it's okay. it's it's great stuff, but just it moves from clunky padding to caviar film to. Yeah, so it's at yeah. number five.
0: I'm wrong. I had more than five because I did not put One Night in Miami just because I thought the too many of the opening scenes were just kind of failures, and so right. I, couldn't, I couldn't put it in. So
1: I had uh, One Night in Miami is number five. You had... Uh, first Cow. First Cow. First Cow. So what's your number four?
0: My number four is uh, Christina Hudson for Birds of Prey, a movie that oh. my biggest surprise of the year, a movie... Uh, on paper, I would have hated this. I think Harley Quinn, ever since like the um, non-sexualized clownish character from Batman the Animated Series, I, I really have been um, unattracted to or uh, almost disturbed by how sexualized and fetishized that character has become in pop media, um, which I just yeah. mostly know from like posters and T-shirts and stuff. Um, I haven't seen Suicide Squad. When I saw that this movie was going to happen, I'm like, "Uh, really? Do we need a Harley Quinn movie? But then I saw the trailer. I'm like, that looks good. (laughs) And then when I watched it, I'm like, I was really impressed by it. It was like a really – everything I thought I would hate, I liked. I thought I was sold on all of it. Um, it, But mostly – that like it had a really you know what did we say about Poseidon adventure you were surprised it was a movie about something like this was this was a movie like through and through was about the trauma women experience at the hands of men
1: absolutely and, i 100% agree that, that was that was a lovely surprise
0: yeah and like it just told that so effectively yeah. and my one of my i didn't we didn't have like a favorite moment category but if we had a five favorite moments one of them in my top five would have been when uh, I didn't i forget the character's name, but the pickpocket girl Yeah. in the final battle when the other women in the battle who are all kicking ass, like realize they need to protect her from witnessing the violence. They need to protect her <laughs> yes. from the trauma. And so just that in this action scene, which is all about the glee of kicking ass, they're like, she should not be participating in this glee yeah and the fact that like it took that moment yeah that like and made beautiful. that space to address that and deal with yeah. that is like yeah i i I'm like choking up thinking about it too. It was like one of the most beautiful moments in a mayhem, like <laughs> this mayhem is not for you, right, you know we're already damaged, you don't have to be, yeah. Um, I, I just thought the whole thing like, was solid, had such a great through line to it. And mm-hmm. so I, I really I really liked that screenplay a lot. Good choice. What's your number four?
1: Uh, my number four is the Nomadland.
0: <laughs> my number three is uh, what I'm guessing what you expected to be my number one is uh, Charlie Kaufman, I'm Thinking of Ending Things.
1: I did expect that to be number one. Uh, I
0: I think the strength of this movie is... Elsewhere, I, I do love the screenplay. I mm-hmm. love all the stuff he injected that's not in the book that's completely original to Charlie Kaufman. I find it all very engaging. The sidelining of the uh, Jesse uh, Buckley of the Lucy character oh, Lucy. at the end is like he make he diverges from the book enough that he had to make a better conscious decision mm. at that point of the screenplay. I agree with you. I have to do my own, like, head edits of the movie to fix it <laughs> and to keep myself loving it, um, which I'm fine with doing. But it's a, it's a big flaw. It's, it's a big flaw in the screenplay. And so I have to dock it for that. Mm. So I'm very really impressed by all the things that, like, the way – what he saw in the book and what he added to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that's, there's a big hole there. Yeah. So that's my number that's
1: three. Fair. My
0: number three great, is – It's still a great screenplay.
1: I'm absolutely, very by it. absolutely. My number three is Jonathan Raymond and Kelly Reichardt for First Cow. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of, I will say, probably some of my favorite things in the movie are either directorial or performance, but the screenplay. And I haven't read the
0: original book, which I believe is called The Half Life, and the the movie adapts only half the book. Does it? So. So Interesting. I understand. Yeah. Um,
1: from the first moment, I know what this movie is about, and it so richly details that. My only my only real criticism of it is that I feel like it really wavers. Like it gets lost when they start going on the run, and he's and and a Cookie is um, injured and ends up in the cabin, and then and then they just kind of find each other randomly, and then they go. But for some reason, that all thing seems a little bit muddled. But as a whole, yeah. the the constructed metaphor, or not even isn't even a metaphor. It's just it's what capitalism. Most most things I love are, are. I wouldn't even say I'm not a capitalist, but most things, stories that I've loved lately are basically showing how capitalism is ruining lives, <laughs> and um, and, and this is is a really great example of that. Um, I'll so talk about it here.
0: I don't I I. So I agree with you. I think the movie does not solve the problem of how to get to its final image. No. Um, uh, and so it 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 treads water uh, to, until it gets there. Um, I agree. It's about capitalism. It's about like how to make your stake in this world. Right. I think it's that's a secondary theme, though. I think the primary yeah. theme of this movie is really about home.
1: Well, yeah,
0: and, and well, you and, know.
1: Yes. And I will uh, well,
0: well, talk about that when we get to director because that okay. that's where I think it's really told us through right. the direction. Right. And but. I think
1: I think you're right about that. I think I think it's uh capitalism is a secondary theme because you in the world created, you can't have a home without capitalism now. And so that's I think that's that's why that f- this movie feels like capitalism is the point, but really and then it's about uh you know, it's about moving forward through a gentleness for others, right? And, yeah. and connecting with others. That's
0: what home is. Like it's building a safe space where where you have to have trust and shelter. Yeah,
1: exactly. Which leads me, we'll talk about this, the directing part too, because it leads me to wonder if something more was meant by the very last act in the movie, because I think the end just completes what was presumed in the beginning but there's a yeah. little something that happens that makes me go. Well, no, wait, are you are you saying something more that I don't get? I, I, and I, I need to I need to have that discussion. But we'll, we'll do that later. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah. So first cow number three. It's still it's still a rich and 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 vibrant um, portrait. And and my favorite Kelly Reichert movie for for sure.
0: I haven't seen any of her others, and I I will. They're, you I'm did. You saw Wendy and Lucy. Oh yeah, of course, and I loved Wendy and Lucy. And you right. keep forgetting; it's always your thing. You always say, "Oh yeah, yeah. I love Wendy and Lucy." I know. I do. Can <laughs> you know why? Uh, like, in full disclosure: that's the one time I just like said "fuck it" and I watched a movie at work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh well, so I'd like, love any body. movie. I did that. With. Yeah. Uh, in full disclosure: I would I would play stuff when we have to do busy work. I would play stuff kind of for the room. In my oh, office. that's different. That's right. different. And I would play. I was playing the new season of Mystery Science Theater. Because you were so still I, working. I was showing. Yeah, uh, they we're still working. And I was showing. Um. Uh. Day that the day that time ended and Lords of the Deep, which were so funny, and then I showed Killer Fish with Lee Majors and Karen Black. And um, my colleague at the time, Hagen, was like. He was going along with it, enjoying it, and then he got to Killer Fish. And Killer Fish, just the movie itself, not the quip, not the Mystery Science theater but the movie itself made him so angry. <laughs> he was so angry at how bad it was. I'm like, this is not the worst movie they've done. He's like, but it just... Ugh. And all I have to do is mention Killer Fish, and he just gets red in the face mad.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyhow. All right. All right. Um, so my number three was uh, First Cow. And yours number two
0: is first cop. My number two is uh, Chloe Zhao, uh, Nomadland, Nomad mm-hmm. Land. As I already discussed. I thought it was really good.
1: My number beautiful, two. Beautiful even. My number two. Charlie Kaufman for uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things.
0: Oh wow. You put a higher than me. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So that might just because of how highly I thought of my number one.
1: That might be That might one. be it. Um my I put my That is number two because it is a admittedly a brilliant adaptation. There are so many brilliant moves he makes. And while I even think that some things he does as a director are better, there are things he does as a director that kills this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: I think I, he's stronger as a director than as a, a writer in this one. Yeah, um, yeah, I movie.
1: know, I know, but I I happen to think that as a as a whole the script is better whereas the directorial choices are like 95% better than the script. But the 5% he did just sinks the whole thing makes uh, okay. the script as a whole better and as yeah. a script as a whole is genius i just
0: the number one yeah. job of a director is maintaining tone if any if you exactly. didn't do that for you then yes okay, I but i can't deny
1: idea. that it is a brilliant piece of work so there's just it, you'll you'll continue to see how this movie has made high marks despite despite the fact <laughs> 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 get so angry about it <laughs>
0: Okay, um, so, what's so that's your, your number two. That's my number two. What's your two. number one? What's your number one? My number I'm gonna, one. I know what it is. It's obvious. What? The Wolf of Snow Hollow. That's, your that's not adapted. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Edit that out. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> no, do I have to? I've, I've drunk too much. Okay, okay all right. Uh,
1: my number one is uh, consistent with the theme that's been going through. This is Sarah Gibbons for Shirley. That's my
0: number one, too. <laughs> is this- I had no idea. I thought this would be my surprise for you of how high Shirley was on my list, but I think we're feeling very similarly on feeling Shirley. Very similar about Shirley, yeah. That screenplay is fucking... It's the, the bomb, man. It's, it's awesome. so good. Yeah, so good. So good. I mean, every, that movie is really...
1: Actually, in a weird way, it should be higher than it is on my overall list because it's high. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's banging. Like, there is. There's not one cylinder that isn't pulling its weight. It's banging on all cylinders. It's just.
0: It's so good. I totally agree. It's great in the quiet moments. It's great. It, it's got, like. It's got, like, the Oscar clip moments, <laughs> which I thought were going to be Oscar clips, and I'm really surprised right. they're not. One of my favorite things about this movie is the way Shirley talks when she's in front of other people and the way she talks when she isn't.
1: Yes. Uh, and how. That knows it very How well. How
0: she's written, like you can tell, like she's constructed a persona here, and then here's what she's actually like, and it it feels like it's coming from the same person, and it feels like it's two people, you yeah, know? Exactly. It's just it's just so well done, um, and that relationship. I'll say it here: the relationship between her and her husband, the the professor guy, yeah. is like the the. That dynamic between them, like the way it starts off with... Yeah. She can't survive without him. He's leeching off of her. Right. He's jealous of her, <laughs> you know, his yeah. pettiness. Um And then, like, how the cycle comes back and how she really does need him. Like, yeah. it's this awful, toxic, codependent relationship, but she really can't function without this guy. And... Yeah. Like that was the most fully realized relationship in any movie I saw from 2020. And one of the most fully realized I've ever seen in a, in yeah. a movie. I thought it's, it was the the depth of that writing was so good. So good. Absolutely. Like they're awful for each other and they couldn't be with anybody else. Like I totally <laughs> believed
1: that. And they couldn't be on their own.
0: Yeah. Right. Yes.
1: I, I also like how how when there's a duality or when someone's putting up fronts or with someone putting on airs, when that person is then revealed the re- the revelation usually leads you to just be a, uh, to be something singular that you can then be against or for. And mm-hmm. like Michael uh, Stolberg's character certainly reveals himself to be something that other than just what he's putting out, but it's not like he whipped off his mask and now he's a, just a monster. Right. It, it's 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 amazing. In fact, at the end, you might even consider Shirley whipping more of the monster than him. <laughs> the only thing that gave me pause about the script was later when I... Because I didn't know anything about Shirley Jackson, right? Shirley Jackson? Yeah. I didn't know anything about her, really. So I was doing some research just because I loved the movie so much. And I... Started reading things about the history And her books and stuff And then I realized That the script had laid in elements of her books Into some of the scenes
0: Yeah, I didn't know that at and, all I was not I've never read her. And it kind of made me
1: It cheap, cheapened it a bit for me I have to admit But But then again you think Well writers pull from their life So Why is that a bad thing? I don't know I just kind of took that and tossed it away Because I'm like You know what? I don't give a shit I love it.
0: I had the exact same reaction. <laughs> I was like, maybe that would feel cloying yeah. if I, if if I cared the way the Sherlock, you know, the way the Sherlock BBC right. series had all these Easter eggs of like, oh, here's the title of this book, but we changed one word, you know, <laughs> whatever.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a remarkable piece of work, that movie. And I hope more people see it.
0: I agree. Shirley. Very high on Shirley. Cool. Well, let's move on to best original screenplay. Yeah, all right. The real, where the real writers dwell. <laughs> <laughs> the, here's here's where you normally get like the most uh, iconoclastic right um, nominees. This is where the risk takers get rewarded is in this category right. by the uh, Academy. It's usually. also
1: usually the the one where the where people vote for what the actual best picture
0: is. Right. You notice?
1: Yes. A lot of times they say, okay, the real best picture is the one that wins best. The Pulp Fiction Award. The Get Out. Yeah. Until you get something like Parasite, which just wins everything.
0: (laughs) And I'm going to go ahead and say, I think all five of these nominees are good, and only one of them makes my top five.
1: Ah. I would say the same.
0: Yeah, okay. The nominees were Will Person, Shaka King, Kenneth Lucas, Keith. That's actually we'll two make my top five. Sorry, Kenneth Lucas and Keith Lucas. Those oh, are the Lucas names, brothers,
1: like the comedians. They're
0: I don't know. You don't them? Know them? They, they're, a... they're
1: all they, a lot of Comedy Central stuff. They are okay. two comedians who um, basically were talking out this idea with Shaka King and saying we have a way we could do this. And oh, so cool. I think they, I thought they were the story credits, basically, and then. Shaka King and Will Person actually wrote the screenplay. I could be wrong on that.
0: And they're nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: Judas. Oh, sorry. I stepped on you there.
0: That's okay. Then you have Clarify. Lee
1: Isaac Chung for a Minari.
0: Emeralds Fennell for a Promising Young Woman.
1: Darius Martyr, Abraham Martyr, based on a story. Well, not based, but story by Darius Martyr and Derek. Sion France, I guess. Uh, Sound of Metal.
0: And Aaron Sorkin for the trial of the Chicago Seven, which I'm going to go ahead and say, is bullshit. Because <laughs> it's
1: I will so confess, cheesy.
0: it is. I liked the cheesiness, but it was cheesy. is a cheesy script.
1: Yeah, it is Sorkin at his at, at his Sorkinian-ness, but it's. Um, uh,
0: I guess you either like it or you don't. Yeah. I'm not. Like, I haven't liked it since I first saw sports night like the first episode of sports night and ever since then i've been tired of it the
1: the, i love the movie steve jobs i I love it i've seen that and um sorkin did write the script and i think danny boyle who stepped in to direct it when somebody exited i can't remember who um really does a good job of reducing the sorkin of it Um, (laughs) except for the scenes with Jeff Daniels suddenly when he's with Jeff Daniels suddenly it feels like the you know classic Sorkin Um, that's
0: what Sorkin needs as someone who's not going to indulge him unnecessarily like David Fincher for exactly but literally in
1: in Steve Jobs some of the best scenes acting scenes writing filmic scenes you'll see uh, that year were between Michael Fassbender and Seth Rogen and Michael Fassbender and Michael Stuhlberg. Um, they're fantastic. And Michael Stuhlberg and Kate Winslet, too, to be an affair. But um, then you get somebody else who indulges him, like, say, maybe director Aaron Sorkin, and, <laughs> and you get this. So, okay. Who will win?
0: I'm going to say the trial of the Chicago Seven. I always think the most speechiest movie is going to win. Yeah. And, and so the, there's no nothing in here it, is as speechy as the trial that got it said. might it might
1: be the bone they throw but i also think that this is the one that they think that the best picture actually wins so i'm going to say i'm going to go against that and i'm going to say minari is probably going to get this
0: well that's who play. should win in this field yeah. that's that's my pick that's your pick
1: my pick for who should win is promising a woman Oh, wow so
0: we disagree on that. We one, do.
1: I, I, I think from we what I get understand, get into
0: that at some future point. Yes.
1: <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, there's so much love for Minari right now. I bet that's where it's going to be deposited right here. It might. I hope
0: you're right. It might be. I, I hope be right. Probably
1: also going to be in other categories too. But
0: so top five. I will start with my number five a screenplay by Eliza Hitman. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Ooh. Which is Oof. an exercise in minimalism. Like it's. It's very spare, but like every detail, it, it knows. It's a screenplay that knows exactly what details need to be there. That yeah, should have been on mine too. <laughs> and there's like zero fat on the bone yeah. in the script, and just like the little choices, like the fact that the way they're harassed at their job at the grocery store is the way the manager like kisses their hands when he forces them to turn in their cash. Mm-hmm. Like you've never yeah. seen that before, but like yeah. oh yeah, that's totally. The fact that they spend their night at a bowling alley... Yeah. <laughs> like, they could have done something scarier. Like, the, you know, she has a scary night that she has to yeah. stay in the city and doesn't know where she's going to go. And they spend it at a bowling alley, which is, like, a non-obvious choice. They could have done, like, they have to sleep in an alley. They could have done something really, yeah. like, obvious. And... The fact that it's some place that, like on paper, seems relatively safe, but it still seems frightening. Like I, I don't know. It's like it just makes right. it's full of like really smart choices. But the number one like thing that impresses me is nothing is said about her home life. Nothing, hardly anything. We don't know who the father is.
1: There are a couple of glances that make you kind of assume it might be her mom's boyfriend. You don't well, know.
0: So, what he says when he's petting the dog, yeah, tells you everything, yes, yeah. it
1: really does
0: like that is that is how you tell a story indirectly and yeah. perfectly perfectly, yeah,
1: I'm ashamed to say it's not in my top five, and I really should put it there
0: it's It's very subtle, it's like like an easy one not to think about, yeah. but did that movie hit me like a hammer and so I, I thought about it a lot afterwards. I do.
1: I do think it's a Stone Cold
0: masterpiece. Well, you will find out. I do not disagree. <laughs> um, now I'm going to go ahead with my
1: selections that totally disregard that masterpiece.
0: <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a writerly movie. No. Know? Well, that but so that's again that's the that's the power about putting it in your top five.
1: But that's why know? it's such a why it needs to be there because it doesn't yeah. feel like a right the movie. It's like, yeah. yeah. So anyway, my 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 uh, number five for uh, oh well, let me first just say that I have some 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 honorable mentions <laughs>
2: uh,
1: okay. of of Brad Inglesby for the Way Back, a movie that really took me by storm.
0: I didn't know that one.
1: Um, we'll talk about it later. Uh, Rada Blank for the forty-year-old version,
0: yeah, and
1: Jay Blakeson for I care a lot. Uh, really, I'm sad those aren't in my top five, but there's
0: only five. I didn't get to that one. I really wanted to. That's like that's the next on my must-see from 2020 list.
1: It's it's going to be a. Uh, uh, I think it's kind of a divisive movie. If you can get through the first, the first fifteen or twenty minutes of that movie, make you so mad make you so mad to your core like I don't you don't think I don't even think I, I can continue watching this I'm funny so, games mad I deliberately avoided that movie
0: <laughs> yeah you should don't watch I, that movie
1: I don't think I need to put myself through whatever that shit is no, but don't. like most of Michael Haneke movies to my detriment I have gone no <laughs> no um,
0: don't that's not detriment that's know yeah. thyself right you know. I know myself yeah. and
1: I don't need that um, I don't need. To, I don't need to tell myself that torturing other people. Convince myself that torturing other people is bad. I know that. <laughs> um, and you don't need to be lectured. It's, it's not bad. a journey yeah. that I have to go to grow. Um, but <laughs> but if you can make it through the first beginning of that movie, it's just, it's it's just injustice. It's like perfect injustice. I care and a lot. We're talking about I care. A lot. I care a lot. Yeah. Putting yeah. up against you that you're just so mad, and that you know you suddenly realize, oh my god, this is probably going on all everywhere. Everywhere, and and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're so angry, and like I'm gonna follow this person forever, and then it opens up into this glorious like you realize, oh, I'm watching a snake that entered a lion's den.
0: <laughs> okay, that sounds fun.
1: And then you're like, oh, that this is gonna be rewarding. good. And then you're like, wait a second, is the snake gonna beat the lion? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're just kind of like, Okay, let me see what's kind of, what's going kind of on here. Bad energy. It sounds like there.
1: Oh yeah, but it's so it's really delicious, and it's it's. I'm really sad that I didn't have room for it in most of my award categories. I'm, okay, um, so we, we haven't of, gotten
0: to your top five. Kind of, of, all right,
1: all right. So that was my that was my honorable mention. My my fifth for best original screenplay is uh, Ju- uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas is, and the Black Messiah. Okay, is uh, Wilford? Well, yeah, because it's 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 such a heartbreaking tale and a great personification of where we are and how, why we are where we are. And yet it plays like a thriller. And so like it's, it's, it's very propulsive. It engages you on that level to then hammer home the notions that how fucked up everything is in, in, in the American psyche. I really dig it.
0: I think I was very unfair to this movie. I realized while watching it, I'm really tired of the stories of the guy who's undercover and pretending to be yeah. the thing he's not. Like, ever since The Departed. I like The Departed, but it's like... I uh, I, yeah, I, I, feel, it's... I feel like that was much more about the cat and mouse game, which I like. Right. I love, you know, Old Country for Old Men. I love cat and mouse movies. And this wasn't a cat and mouse movie. And just like the idea of... Like, I just didn't feel sorry for Lakeith Stanfield's character at all. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't I didn't sympathize with him very much. Um, I just thought he just lacked a backbone, like moral backbone. Mm-hmm. And you need that to take this ride. And it, this, this script did not have that for me. It, it needed to get me on his side and it never did. So I, I thought that was a fatal flaw. I, 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 I think I couldn't get into it.
1: He was placed in a situation to do something, and his eyes were opened to what was actually... Ha- not just what actually was happening, but what was possible. Yeah. And he still rode the train of his captors, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I, that's so, all there. Yeah. It's like, all... He's, yeah, yeah. He's put into a shitty position...
1: And he never rises above
0: by it. ...by your hero, Jesse Plemons. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Who's was was, was fucking him over uh that's all true i just wanted him to tell that guy to fuck off and right we wanted that but that like the c4 scene like the trunk full of c4 scene like i I could not i I don't know i just couldn't get on his side i couldn't i couldn't side with him i think you you leave his side and you're i thought the price he was unwilling to pay was too small right uh you know what i mean
1: yeah, but but the thing is, is that when I look at my own life and I look at racial inequality and stuff, I realize the price that I have to pay is also too small, to to not well, pay. Well, yeah,
0: it. that's real life.
1: <laughs> and then yet we're still this shit's still going on.
0: Yeah, and that I I I don't fault anyone for I I'm not right. saying you're wrong. I'm just telling you like why I couldn't. Yeah. I this is why I didn't connect with it right. as deeply as I wanted to. I honestly no, no, I understand, like, like, I understand watching you, it I'm like I I can see the quality of this movie and I'm not I'm not plugging into it. Like you know? for some reason
1: I feel like this movie is high on my list of, of in, in ranks and yet so many other things are I value all the parts so much more and yet for some reason this equals more the sum, than the sum of his parts. I don't know sure why hmm. but it does. There is actually an interesting thing in terms of the writing part is that Shaka King and his writing partner were, were asked to put in something that I felt was the more clunkier parts. The money people, I don't know who that was. They wanted someone to kind of pin racism on so they wanted Hoover. Hoover wasn't in, the, in their original script. Hmm. So they wanted Hoover in there, Martin Sheen's Hoover, to kind of be like there's got to be like a racist pushing all this right when it's kind of like no it's the society that's racist
0: <laughs> yeah but it's a movie you have but to, it's a
1: movie you kind of like
0: you want to do so that concretize they, it into
1: something so they want to yeah. do that so hoover is the most cartoonish part the most not like the rest of the movie but then the way they weave jesse plemons into having to deal with that i thought was interesting
0: you don't have to you don't have to nomadland didn't and was <laughs> that's, that's true. great but it's a that's movie true. thing to do to concretize I don't fault a movie for right, right, right 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 that's just like a movie way of telling that story absolutely
1: yeah. all right well let's move on so you're
0: number four my number four is Minari if this wasn't a stronger field I thought it was such a strong year mm-hmm. that in many years Minari would be my number one absolutely it gave me the like one of the most distinct characters um, maybe two of them um, and we'll talk about that more Every obvious choice I expected it to make, it didn't make any of them. Yeah, that's true. It, it dodged every obvious avenue of the storytelling. What you thought, you know, a, a Korean family immigrating into Arkansas, you expect a certain kind of conflict and you didn't get any of those conflicts. You got different, different conflicts. conflicts.
1: The fact that everyone wasn't overtly racist to them. Yeah. Like that wasn't what the story was about. There was a certain sense of welcoming. Yeah. Welcome to our community. But even like dad that sits down, that where he spends the night at another friend's house, it was just your friend. Hi. And it, 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 oh, just yeah. the way he so intently looked at him, everything he said and everything he did was gracious, kind of, and at least was well intended. But he was definitely looking at him like, like it's, right. it's a Korean boy here. Like well, he except, it great. he
0: never feels unwelcoming no. like in the church, but in that scene especially, they never feel unwelcoming. But the fact that he feels like he can say anything in front of this kid, yes, like says everything, right? Like yeah. he can say this. He maybe he says it in front of anything, but he like he doesn't have to consider his words. He doesn't
1: have to consider his words exactly. You know,
0: and like the Paul character working on the farm, like right. When he, when he comes and you think like, oh, here we're setting something up and it's like it goes in a completely different direction that feels completely authentic yeah. Yeah. and like specific to the place and the and the time. Just like all those choices were like so exquisite. Like it was just like a thing of beauty. It's just like the only reason it's not my number one, frankly, is that I don't know how we get to the end. You know, yeah, I agree. Uh, Monica, Monica, the mother, the mm-hmm. wife. Who she like? Who I I don't know why we're not hearing more about her in terms of performance because she's she was great. great. She was great, a great wit- written character in what will come up as one of my top scenes. Uh, like makes a very strong choice, and then that the movie ends up in a different place, and I don't understand. When or how she changed her mind to get to the place where the movie ends, I completely agree, which makes me not sure how I am supposed to take it. I know, and that's just like that's just like a, there's like a chunk of the screenplay missing yeah. that I want to be there so badly because I believed her so strongly in that moment, so strongly. Which we'll get to in best scenes, which is in my top five best scenes. I believed her so strongly in her conviction. And the fact that she reverses it, I needed to be taken there. Well, I needed to know what that meant. Yeah.
1: Was that a tragedy or was that a healing? Like, what was that?
0: Okay. So that's my number four, Minari. That's your number four?
1: <laughs> my gosh, how long have we been going? Uh, my number four is Jasmila Zabonik for Kulvadis Vadis uh, Ada. Oh,
0: I got to see this movie. Okay, this is going <sighs> on my... Watch list in the Letterboxed app, my favorite way to track my movie watching yeah. activity.
1: Uh, I've never heard of this writer director. I am now going to pay attention. I just saw this today, so I'm still kind of basking in the um, tragic afterglow of the <laughs> of a of a massacre uh, in 1995. Uh, whew. Uh, it's something. I, I, all I can say is to focus. And contextualize this massacre in the terms of a mother who is involved, if peripherally, in how this uh, political matter is handled, just trying to protect her kids. And she has so much agency and all the futility of all the people who are actually running the show. Who just believe that we have to play by the rules, even though they've never shown anything about playing by the rules and allow this massacre to happen of almost 9,000 people to be just executed. It's it's stunning. It's quite a feat. So that's my number four.
0: Sounds like this is doing what the trial of the Chicago 7 says it's doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, fuck that shit. This is the real deal. <laughs> Again, women filmmakers.
0: All right, that's your number four. What's your number three?
1: My number three... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm embarrassed to say after that, after the previous movie... Is Palm Springs? I love Palm. It's a great script. It's a great script for being something that could essentially be labeled as well. It's Groundhog Day again. I mean, no slide against Groundhog Day, but it pulls its. It, it makes its own. Like you said in your intro or in your copy for the the uh, episode we did on it, pain matters. What we do to people matters. Hmm. And that is. There's no better mantra to live by these days.
0: Oh, really? That should have been in my best lines. I didn't even think about that.
1: Well, there was a best line I was considering from there, which was uh, when he's making his one sentence plea (laughs) before she enters the cave, that (laughs) ends up being the longest long run on sentence of all time. (laughs) And then she says, uh, but what if we get sick of each other? And he goes, that's it. We're already sick of each other. And it's the best. (laughs) Isn't that (laughs) lovely and beautiful too (laughs) at the same time? (laughs) Also being incredibly funny. It's lovely.
0: It's a it's a lovely screenplay. It is. Um my number three is uh Jim Cummings for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Ah, this is um <laughs> that makes me happy. The the best original screenplay award is a great one to uh along with director to reward someone who successfully mixes tones. Yeah. Um and the this movie is kind of miraculous in the way it does that and that it's a, a horror comedy that says something like very deep thematically about about alcoholism like on the surface but i think really it's about male rage yeah and absolutely. the way the way men express anger and channel it outward and i i just think it's never preachy about it but it like says everything it needs to say in in the action you know um, I couldn't
1: have said it better myself. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a great screenplay. Very, very great. Very great. <laughs> that's why he's the word writer guy. Professional speaker of <laughs> movies. Sigmund <laughs> Lamar, pay me money to talk like this, please. So that's my number three. So I'm going to go to my number two. Go to your number two. Uh, I'm going to say Rada right Blank, uh, the 40 year old version. Not I dead. thought, in terms of personal filmmaking, this is—I can't think of a better exemplar of yeah. like making a statement, like with your debut movie, of who I am and where I am as a person. I don't—I know nothing about Radha Blank as a real person, but to this movie just felt like such a statement of who I am and where I am in my life right now, and it was so fresh. It—it it felt heavily inspired by Spike Lee, and I realize like I've I feel like I've not seen a lot of Spike Lee movies and I've actually seen a lot of Spike Lee movies. Um but he's made a lot of movies and I've only I've seen half of them, but that's a lot of movies. It felt like it felt like she had processed Spike Lee and filtered out all the things that frustrate me about Spike Lee as a filmmaker and kept all the best stuff <laughs> and then made it intensely personal and all about her in the freshest way in the same way that I'll get booed out of the room. I don't really like Jack Kirby as an artist, but I love all the top artists who were the next generation after Jack Kirby. Like, it felt like that same kind of processing of of Spike Lee to me, but, like, much more successful at (laughs) making an appealing um, account of oneself. Yeah. And it's funny. It was, like, what... Maybe the funniest movie I saw... From 2020. Uh, I think it has a lot to say about like black culture and the way black culture presents itself. At least I think it does. Um, like it's very critical of like the black theater scene yeah. while also like it's being very critical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it just felt without, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance, but it felt very smart about that and very insightful. Um, at, at least it was presented to me a way. It reminded me of Hollywood Shuffle, a movie that I love a lot, uh, Robert Townsend from the 80s. I really loved the choice to make everyone in her orbit consider her a sexy person, attractive person. (laughs) Weird disconnect in that it's all about her, her not feeling sexy because she's... Getting older, which is something that we all go through, and I think right. women more than men, uh, for reasons Hollywood makes very clear in its history. Um, <laughs> it was a weird disconnect that yeah. that she's feeling unsexy when absolutely everyone around here is considering her sexy. But I also loved that as, like, if you're going to make a movie about yourself, then make yourself a sex object. Yeah. Like, if that's, <laughs> a, exactly. if that's how you want to be. That's why you want to like, be. But when yeah. she has a sex scene, like the way that plays was like so tender and beautiful, and yeah, um,
1: and touchingly humorous
0: too. Yeah, it just yeah. Felt, it just like also felt personal and real, and it didn't feel real. It was very artificial, but it felt true. Like all of the <laughs> that that makes me want to cry. All of the moments of what you just said, it just doesn't. Felt it's very a, true.
1: That real and true are two different things. That's yeah. so beautiful.
0: It's so beautiful. And so I really, I've felt so inspired by yeah. this movie. And I'm like, I can't wait. Like, Radha Blank is such a, like, she needs to be in, like, national ad campaigns. Like, she's, you know, she should be, like, a <laughs> yeah. personality that we should all be embracing. She's so yeah. so strong. She writes herself so strong in this movie. The voice yeah. is so strong. And yet, um, she
1: also, was there any better comic timing this year than when she's sitting in that, office of the pretentious black theater producer and she's asking about being there and then the water drops in her eye and then her the way she reacts to that and then tries to pretend it doesn't happen there's no better comic timing that year i don't yeah.
0: think but yeah the way that 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 theater director guy is written yeah you know and it's like there's fun like there's a the kiss ass character is called lipshitz and <laughs> the guy who represents the white man is called Whitman. And like, I, I, yeah. I, I, I love that stuff. I like. Don't be, don't bury that. Like, yeah. put that on the surface and then you tweak put that it out there. a little bit. You know.
1: When we later do best line of dialogue, there's a line that I wanted to put in there, but it was it's it's more so rooted to the movie than it is to just being a great line. It's when. Is it Lipschitz? Is it the is it the white the white benefactor that the
0: director is Lipshitz? Uh, Whitman is the oh the Whitman, right? Yeah. Whitman.
1: So she's talk he's talking to her about how her play should be changes to her play that she should be making, and then she says, "Well, my audience the well
0: meaning this is the well meaning white patron." That's, those scenes were so good,
1: yeah. The well-meaning white patronizing patron.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Make it more urban like, or whatever. He make says. it more. Yeah. Yeah. Is that
1: black enough? <laughs> she says, "Well, well, that's that's what my my play is about." And then he interrupts her and says, "I know what your play is about, and I also know you have to grab your core audience, and to do that, you have to write them into the play." That was such. That gutted me. He literally lays it all out saying, your core audience is rich white people.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: if you want them to pay attention to you, you have to write r- write rich white people into your play. Yeah. And that just fucking gutted me.
0: The reality of that. The reality yeah. of the
1: situation. Yeah. Right. It was a beautiful moment. The,
0: the, the financial reality I mean, of well, yeah. not
1: a well, very sad moment, the financial reality. That comes from someone who's been there far too many times,
0: I'm sure. Yeah, no, I I deeply loved uh, the 40-year-old version.
1: It's a great movie. Okay. Absolutely.
0: That was my number two. I think
1: we need your number two. My number two... This was a tough call between my one and two. Mm. But my two is Promising Young Woman, is Emerald Thineau. Ah. Um, I can't begin... Well, I don't know, my 3,000-word... <laughs> <laughs> Letterbox review, I think, does it pretty well. Um I've I find it weird that I wrote a re, a gleeful review that used the word rape more times than I was comfortable with. I it's I don't a movie like about, that. In,
0: it's a movie about rape that never uses the word rape. I, I
1: think, think it's that. a movie about grief, more so.
0: Yes. No, that's it's true. certainly
1: a movie about sexual assault, but it is really more about grief. Yeah, you're right. And um I've really not liked the idea that rape features prominently in a lot of popular entertainment, because that's not entertainment. But I do know that it needs to be in the conversation. It needs to be in the national conversation, absolutely. And I think this movie, the power of this movie, the power of this movie comes from the fact that it teases you into thinking that, you, that you're watching some, somebody go and murder people, who are sexual assaulters or more important murder people who think they're not doing that. You know, I'm the nice guy. I'm, I'm what's the harm here. And then murdering those people as for a sort of, sort of a rape revenge kind of deal. But when, as the movie unfolds, it shows that all she's doing is just making them acknowledge the truth of what they're doing. Mm. that's it and to a man facing the truth of what you're doing is equivalent or worse than being brutally and viciously murdered (laughs) and so the movie takes this tone and I don't think it's a bait and switch in the slightest I think it's a tone where it goes you look at what you're doing but from the male perspective it's like you are murdering me (laughs) (laughs) murdering my image of myself yeah you are murdering my image of myself you're murdering my future you're murdering everything like 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 the like the reaction to just going look what you're doing you you, you are trying to do something without consent of the other person to them they're like Aah! and like that's the genius and the power of the movie everything coalesces around it to kind of contextualize it in this and, and then you've got a, a movie where everyone is telling our lead character who, to our knowledge, has not yet been the victim of sexual assault. Although, it's entirely possible because uh, that she has been in this mission she's been on. But we don't know that. We just know that she's having grief for... She feels responsible for abandoning her friend. Yeah. And so, the whole world is telling her to move on. Her boss... Her parents give her the gift of a briefcase of a suitcase, for God's sake. Her boss says get a life. Her um friends say it's not a big deal. The parent, the mother of the girl who killed herself, she's saying you need to move on because we're moving on and you're hurt, you're negatively impacting us by not moving on. And like and and so she reads that as you want me to forget her experience. You want me to forget and deny the reality of her experience. And she can't do that. And it's not a victorious tale in the slightest. The the tragedy is that she feels like she has to pay this out of herself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, because that's the only avenue that appears to be open because she gets no support from her community, from her family, from her friends, from the authorities, from a society so it's like if any justice has to be done, it's got to be done off my back, out of my hide, out of my skin. And it's tragic, but it's it's also incredibly powerful. And so I, I know it's a divisive movie, and I know it's a divisive movie not just between men and women and not just between survivors and non-survivors of assault, but between survivors of assault.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Who view like, I thought the point was to be victorious. Why are we watching this? And I get that and I appreciate that. Um, And I know I don't have any real right to be talking about this sort of thing, being who I am and where I'm coming from. But what I did appreciate was how the value placed by men and by women for men's careers and futures and reputations feels worse than a brutal murder or equivalent to, you know, that is the thing that drives all of this tragedy. And so it was nice to see that taken head on.
0: Well, I won't yuck your yum. It didn't. <laughs> this, <laughs> it's okay. This didn't make my top five and it didn't come close to it. <laughs> uh, I thought. I know, I know. I thought it had some pretty big fatal flaws and maybe we'll. I don't know. Is, is this going to be your pick? Are we doing this for an, a future episode? Um, I don't know. I'd like well, to, but I don't know. I won't get into it. Um, okay. you number
1: one. Or you can, do you want me to do my number one and then you do your number one? Yes, go ahead, please. I felt like that's what you were building to it. Uh, Mine will be short. My number one is pretty clearly The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yeah, I it's just, a great screenplay. There's, it's, it, it has totally encaptured my heart <laughs> <laughs> on every level. So I don't think I need to say much about it other than I'm amazed by the vision of of a writer, director, actor to put something forth like this that is so rich and so well-constructed. It's incredible.
0: Of a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we flip-flopped. My number one is Andy Sierra for Palm Springs. Oh, ah, <laughs> very nice. Um, which spent a while as my number one movie of, of 2020. Mine too. Um, it did me too. For a movie that on paper, feels derivative of like you just hear the concept. Like, well, that's just a retread of Groundhog's Day. For me, it was the most original <laughs> screenplay because it just takes a completely new. Groundhog's Day is rightly celebrated as like not only a great comedy, but like this philosophical movie. And it has like this, this depth to it. But I thought Palm Springs goes so much deeper. Like it takes that and like splinters it into fractions. Yes. Like how the same experience means different things to these different people. Yeah. Uh, Andy Samberg and Christian Milatti and J.K. Simmons, and they each bring something different to it and take something different away from it. And how it just relates to like the experience of like real life, uh, even if you're not caught in a time loop. <laughs> It's it's funny. It's a puzzle box movie where there's like all these little details where you kind of Easter eggs where you appreciate like why they were funny the first time when you find out later what like how what that meant to 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 the characters' experiences as they were experiencing them over and over again. I, I just thought it was a great piece of writing. Like yeah. it just it it's kinda of like the Lego movie, it was like it had better than it had any right to be, <laughs> That's but it exactly just true. it was another movie that didn't take the easy way out. No. And like you say, like it really was about something. It was about how it was like something very very real about very, how very real, yeah. the pain you cause counts, you know? Um the hurt you cause other people matters. And right? even if it doesn't appear to have an effect, it matters. Even if it gets erased, it matters to you. Exactly. It's, it scars you.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so it ends up being about a way to live a life. Um, <laughs> and it's hilarious. It's the Anacharinia of uh, the Corinna. <laughs> I, I really love yeah. Palm Springs a lot. So that's my number one. Good
1: choice. I commend you.
0: Now we have some of our special categories. They're sort of writerly categories. Uh, best monologue. This was your suggestion, Wade. I only came up with... Three, uh, four. I didn't come up with the top five for this.
1: Yeah, this was, an a, this was an attempt for me to kind of distribute best lines into, <laughs> into something else. Um,
0: Spread the wealth. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, let me preface this by saying there's something that should be a number one monologue, but I'm going to have it be a number one scene later.
0: <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, I do that too. So, if something like qualifies for two categories... I tended to promote it to the bigger yeah category, right?
1: Um, but I, I have seven, so <laughs> I'll just start with my seven and six.
0: Sure, why not?
1: My number seven, Irresistible, which slightly disappointing but still entertaining. Hmm. It's when Jack Hastings as Chris Cooper is brought to a fancy New York party to fundraise for his mayoral in a small Wisconsin town, and they ask him. Oh,
0: this is the John Stewart movie. This is a John
1: Stewart movie. And so he's at this fancy New York party Steve Carell's brought him to to, to, to to raise money. They ask him what the real problem is, and he says, well, the problem is this. The fact that I have to convince you that my town is worth saving, that I, I should be at home serving my town, but instead I'm here asking you to believe that, I, that my town is worth saving and that I'm worth giving money to do it but you're not giving me money to save the town. You're giving me money to go home and convince my town people that I'm the man to save their town. This all just seems stupid. And it's it's a glorious distillation of like how fucked up politics <laughs> is and how it doesn't serve the country. I thought it was great. My number six was from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's uh, Chadwick Boson's, speech about how his daddy wasn't spooked by the white man and it taught him how to yeah. handle them.
0: It's not a surprise. Like it's right. it's the beach that's going to get him the Oscar probably.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It
0: it felt overwritten to me. Like I didn't Because
1: it's for the play. I, I mean know. the whole thing feels That's why it's not in my top 5, but I felt like I had to recognize it. I felt like I had to go like it's well performed, but this is for the stage.
0: Yeah. 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 Totally. It's where a faithful adaptation was a disservice, I think. Yes. I, yeah. I,
1: that's a great way to put it. This one is more for his performance because it is more for really, his
0: performance is great. Yeah.
1: He really did did do that amazingly, but um so I felt like I had to get prosper for that. So now we're gonna go into my number five. Okay. My number five best monologue is the He's Not My Boyfriend, Mom, the old guard. Oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a, <laughs> wow. That's a great choice. I totally forgot about that.
1: It's a great. Scene. That's in.
0: That's when they're in the back of the like SWAT van.
1: Oh, they're they're in they're in a medical bay or whatever. Oh no,
0: no, or that's maybe right. They that's are
1: right. Yeah, and they they one guy just dismissively refers to the missing boyfriend. Yeah, and then he lays out a case for a love greater than
0: like <laughs> soulmates. Yeah, it's like, so beautiful. Realized. Yeah. Oh, that's a great choice. I totally yeah. forgot about that. That's a great choice.
1: It's a beautiful... You can make it your number five if you want. <laughs> okay. All right. And now your number four?
0: My number four is uh, from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but it's uh, delivered by Ma Rainey. It's the Until Ma Rainey Signs.
1: Oh, that's which- a good one. I had a, I had a thing down here saying Viola Davis. I know she did one. I don't know what it is.
0: That's my, that was my highlight of that movie for me was, was Until crazy. I Sign. Once I sign, I'm just a horde of them. Until I sign, I have power over them, and that's why
1: she's so good because that's probably from the play. Didn't feel like it was written for the play.
0: No, it didn't. (laughs) And it's, and you know, it's it's a funny screenplay. Like we'll do it Levy's way, we'll do it Ma Rainey's way. It felt like they were saying that. Over and over and over again, I felt like I was hearing the same conversation yeah. four times in a row, yeah,
1: um,
0: but it's like two different ways of living, and like that's the line that that was the monologue like that summed up Ma Rainey's yeah. way you know um I, I that that for me was the highlight of that movie
1: um, my number four is from Sound of metal. it's um Matthew Almerich playing his girlfriend's dad. It's the you gave my daughter a place to go swear. He comes in and he says, you know, when before, I did not like you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I did not like you, but I realize that's not your fault. Because your her mother stole her from me. And then he she stole from me again when she killed herself. Yeah. And then you gave her a place to go. So thank
0: you. That was very strong. Yeah. I don't like you and thank you. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The emotional dynamics in that. Uh, are great. Yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. And how
1: med first goes, Yeah, motherfucker. And then, like, doesn't lash out and listens and comes to reason, like, Yeah, okay. All
0: right. That's fair. Yeah.
1: That's what it is. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs>
0: tough, tough, but fair. Tough, but fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're number three, then. Oh, okay. um Curiously low on the
1: list. It's John Marshall's first opening AA monologue from Wolf of Snow. I
0: monologue. thought that'd be your number one. I knew that'd be in there.
1: I'm not good with anger. We're, we're going to wait to talk about this, but his introduction at the AA meeting is a marvel of a scene and a great monologue. But I'm going to leave it at that because I got to talk more about that later.
0: Okay. All right. My number three is describing the Swallows uh, from Land when Swanky... She's in the band oh. with uh, Fern. She's talking about her canoe trip that she took by herself. And she she's yeah. to this canyon, and this, she, the swallows come out of their mud nests. Yeah. And it's like they're reflected in the water, and it's like they're flying both above and below her. And, like, she felt like she could have yeah. died right at that moment. Like, that was... Yeah. That's, like, what I don't know... <laughs> It's like, did Chloe Zhao hear her say that and documented it and then asked her to repeat it or yeah. did she capture that in the moment? I have no idea, but it it's was no like this idea. beautiful piece of poetry that like just really speaks to her experience and uh, that, that stuck with me. That like, yeah it's nice that was like a knife in my heart right in that, that moment, <laughs> That's but nice. like in a tender in and in a loving knife. <laughs> it wasn't like a knife at all. A loving knife. It just touched me deep in the heart. That's what I'm going to say. But like a finger. And I've a little. What <laughs> your number two? My number two is... Um, my number two and number one were really hard to tease out. My number two is The Monkey and the Organ Grinder. From oh, Mank.
2: I forgot about that.
0: That, that... <laughs> yeah. What? That, like, is the one that word for word... There's a lot of the writing in Mank I... Didn't like Yeah I think No I completely I I understand Um, that And there's a lot of it I really did like I thought it was really uneven Um, um, Really uneven But that That monologue Like I felt like The next day I could recite it Word for word Even if I couldn't I felt like I could You know It was that strong
1: Yeah I completely agree Yeah I wish I wish I had put that in here Although I was actually more affected By the scene Where they're having the party And uh, Louis B. Mare And Um who was the other guy? Um, Hearst? No, no, not Hearst. Well, Hearst was in the room. But they were talking about how socialists and communists are bad. And, and, like, like, <laughs> and how, how Mank just says, what, like, they want a workforce for free, which is exactly what the Hollywood business was trying to do. Yeah. And, like, and it's only temporary.
2: <laughs>
1: you know? And, like, that, that whole scene, I think, really beautifully highlight what that monologue later did, too. But, like... The point of the movie, in my opinion, that got muddled by just caring too much about artifice, but, you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> caring too much about Orson Welles, I mean.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: The movie's it's, not about Orson Welles, or, or about Citizen Kane, you're kind of Right. Gina, it's, it's, stay it's, on it's, task.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really about how business, not, not just Hollywood, but like through the means of Hollywood business, uses politics to make the workers choose to give up their freedoms, and that's yeah. That's when Mank is banging all cylinders. I think is when Gary Oldman's raging against that mindset and, and, and those effects.
0: Mank uh, sticking up for the workers while doing everything he can to avoid work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which should yeah. That's just it. It should be a delicious contrast, and it just it doesn't. Just but anyhow, the movie forgets what it's about. Yeah, totally, it definitely. Yeah, does. yeah, right. All right, your number two for best monologue.
1: Okay, this hurts me to say because I, I think it's the best everything. But I'm going to put it here just so it can shine later. Okay? okay. It's the You Will Not Kill Paul that's that scene from Defive Bloods. Spoiler, that's my number one. Of course. It was my number one, too. And then I moved it just now for distribution of wealth. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's no better monologue of the year for sure.
0: And that's why it's your number two. <laughs> and that's why it's my number two. So my number one, I'll just say it because I've already said it. My number one is uh, You Can't Kill Paul from The Five Bloods. Not so much how it's written. Like, if I go back and watch it, like, it's not a great written monologue, but it's so fiery. It's like the most takeaway image from that movie. Yeah. And it says the most about Paul as a character. Like, you can't forget that you saw that monologue. it burns into your brain, you know. And Spike Lee's choice, like the way he just like makes it a one shot, the way it keeps going in and out of focus, like it's very, like every yeah, how tightly it's framed, like every aspect of it seems strained, like the sweat in his face, like is reflected in the way that it is framed and shot. Yeah, um, it it's just so like this is yeah. a guy hurting.
1: <laughs> but again, this is we're talking about scenic stuff, and I'm going to say this now just so I don't forget it later. The fact that this movie throws every cinematic tool even mostly cinematic tools that hadn't even been thought of yet into the mix, right? And then, lo and behold the most powerful thing in the movie is just turn the camera on a great actor and letting that guy talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, you have all these amazing cinematic and editing tricks and, and theories and all that stuff, but just the power of a great fucking actor. And he
0: elevates the material, yeah.
1: And he yeah. elevates it yeah. all, yeah. So I'm going to put it at number two in best monologue now. We'll see what I do with it later. Oh, okay. But um, for my number one best monologue, and it's no slight to Delroy Lindo and the Fly of Blood, sorry, dude, is from... Uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. I
0: haven't seen that.
1: Yeah. Now, I I, I did have a troubled experience with this movie in the sense that I did. I was fooled into thinking it was a documentary.
0: I I couldn't tell from what I saw. Yeah.
1: Right. But apparently what it actually is, is a bunch of people playing themselves that they cast, quote unquote, threw them all together in the room. They never met each other. They say they're in a bar in New Orleans, but they're really in Vegas, I think. But they cast, basically, people who were living the lives of these characters, basically. And they just threw them all together, and they had this thing. They said, okay, this bar is closing, and this is the bar that you guys have lived in every day of your life. And now it's closing. And so it's the last night, last 24 hours in this bar. And it really does feel like a goddamn documentary. And then you realize these are the best actors on the <laughs> Because they all feel like they've been talking to each other casually for years. Like this is their home. This is their safe place when their home isn't their safe place. And there's this fantastic scene where this uh, former actor, whose name is Michael, real name is Michael Martin, and this is who he is in the movie, tells this a uh, younger man, Michael's on the couch and the younger man's trying to get him up off the couch. And he grabs him and he's holding him close and he gives like a four minute scene where he's trying to tell him wisdom that he's too young to accept. And he's basically saying, look, you've got to leave this bar and then stay out of the next one and then stay out of the next one. And there's a line I wanted to put into my best lines, but I'm going to put it here where he's basically telling him, look, he's saying I used to be an actor and I'm not an actor anymore. Now I'm here. And he goes, look, there's nothing more, oh my fuck, is he ever going to go away than a guy who used to do stuff who doesn't do stuff no more because he's in a bar. And he's not really getting it because he's drunk, but it's this beautiful outpouring of pleading with him to like, you have to make better choices (laughs) than I did. It's it's a really beautiful scene. And it's played literally they're in a brace almost in like in a lovers embrace, almost like they're they're like coitus almost. Cuz he's leaned down to pick him up off the couch and he's just grabbed him and they're just like right there. Mm. It's a beautiful scene. That's my number 1 monologue.
0: All right. Cool. Well, next is the much shorter version of that best line of dialogue. <laughs> I only came up with 3. Oh, I came I up it. with thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put them down unless I could right. think of them like really clearly, and they stuck with me. And I thought about them afterwards. You could take like my best screenplay and just like grab. Like I had ones I thought about putting in, but like um, I don't know, I didn't feel strongly enough about them. You would bore him to death in a week from Shirley. Oh yeah, it's more like. That's more like a great moment than a great line, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, so, how many did you have? You said three. Three. Okay. So, my first number six. Okay. <laughs> uh, is from the Invisible Man. Mm. It's in the middle of Elizabeth Moss's "Why Me" speech when she's talking to her empty bedroom, asking why why'd you even choose me, and it's the line, "Cause that's what money and power buy you, people." Mm. I found that to be very powerful uh, my number five is from the 40 year old version it's when d is uh by, played by oswin benjamin uh, d is recording other guys and the guys ask him you're still on about that old lady which almost made it my best mm-hmm. scenes but it's when he yells back at them at least she gave me some storytelling
2: yeah like
1: what the fuck are you even doing in there you even know half all you inwards. words y'all just be coming up in here stringing words together like you doing something. It was, it was, it was so powerful. It was, it was the first time you see him really let himself out. That's a great scene. Yeah. It's a great great scene. What he sees in her. Yeah. And you see what you see, he sees in her so that later when he, when they do hook up, I buy it. Yeah. You know, like it's like, yeah, it was a great, great line. Um, my number four is Bill Murray from on the rocks.
0: Well, I want to see that. I'm, I I really,
1: I really like what that movie is about. I wish I could say it's better. Mm, Okay, but there's a great moment when Bill Murray um, says to his daughter. I remember the first moment, the moment when I first recognized you as a person. We were in the country. You were about nine months old, and you were sitting on the ground. And I picked you up, and your your diaper was sopping wet with like mud and water. And we just looked at each other and just started laughing. And there you were. I saw who you were. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's gorgeous. I, I you know obviously I have those moments with my son too, and I'm sure you do with yours, where you're like, oh, there's a, I see you. You're not just a baby.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: You're distinct. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, well that was my number four How about you give me your number three
0: My number three is I only drank a little pee It was fun <laughs> From Minari <laughs> <That's right. laughs> It's like a real turning point uh, For that character in her relationship With uh, David the little boy It's like it's a, there's an axle Of a relationship turns on that line And it's a funny line So I love it
1: That's gorgeous Yeah it's funny Uh, My number three is also from Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. And it's the same guy that I talked about earlier. Only that monologue was at the end. This one was at the beginning. When they're joking about him being a complete drunk who sleeps at that bar. And he just says, oh, you know, I know we're making fun. But I pride myself on not having become an alcoholic until I was already a failure. (laughs) Because alcoholic failures are boring. So I ruined my life sober, and then I came to you. (laughs) There was was a clarity to that that was just so tickling.
0: All right, I'll go to my number two. I just want my ding-dong to look bigger than what is really there. (laughs) From Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, yeah. And he's explaining why he puts a cucumber down his tights, <laughs> and just the phrasing of that stuck oh. with me. And then, like that, there's a lot of that movie I didn't like, uh. but that line I kept repeating in my head for days afterwards.
1: Yeah, there was one in my list of thirty from Eurovision where when the bloke blows up and Rachel McAdams says, "The elves went too far."
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a good one.
1: How's it going? Awesome. My number two is uh, Toby Jones in First Cow. Oh. Saying, I taste London in this cake. Mm. It's a, there's just so much. And I wanted that to be in my best scenes, too. It's a movie about home. But that, yeah, exactly. And that, you know, there's a lot in the performance. But you can't do in a performance like that if, it's, if, if you don't have a writer who knows that that's all you need. To say everything. I taste London in this cake. And it says so much about everything. It's so great. I love it.
0: Yeah. It's the theme of the movie. Uh, It's kind of right there. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Give us your number one.
1: Well, I think you know what my number one is. You assumed it for my best monologue. My number one line is from the Wolf of Snow Hollow and the introduction of John Marshall at the AA meeting where he says... I got drunk for the first time, I was 15 years old, and I turned to the kid next to me, and I guess, and I said, this is what normal people must feel like.
0: Yep, you highlighted that in our episode.
1: There was no line that packed a bigger punch for, like, defining someone that would be like John. It's mm. incredible. It was It is almost uh, too ballsy to throw it out there within the first few seconds of meeting <laughs> him, to put it so bluntly and so plainly, but it's still hit me like a, it cold cock. me, honestly. <laughs> so that's my, that's my favorite line of the year.
0: Well, my favorite line is a very writerly line. It's from Mank. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies, and don't let anybody tell you any different.
1: That's yeah. a great freaking line. I wrote, I wrote that, I transcribed that yeah. as soon as I heard it. So I, I, yeah, it's a great line. Yeah,
0: it's like, wow. David Fincher's dad could really write. It's too bad he wrote a bunch of shitty stuff too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean he's just there where you go like, okay, you he understood. He understood that on a profound level, so
0: like maybe Meyer really said that, like, and that's like, No, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's in a memoir somewhere or a biography, but it's a great line. And, and it gets to the heart of the few things I like about that
1: movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it touches on the themes. It addresses yeah. everything. But it also feels like a revelation, <laughs> too. Like, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Right. I'll
1: spare you my other 20.
0: Yeah, we don't have time for that. <laughs>
1: but I do, want, I do want to highlight one from uh, The Lovebirds, where Issa Rae yells back at Camilla and Johnny saying, you make documentaries those are just reality shows that nobody watches. <laughs> I, I laughed very hard.
0: Could have brought that up in the documentary uh, category. Okay. Yeah, I know, but I've saved it Worked for him. that here. in. Uh, yeah, we're over four hours here, so we should probably try to move along to the okay. best cinematography. <laughs> no, you did it. <laughs> cinematography. Oh, you
1: are reading what I wrote. Cinema t- cinematography.
0: Cinematography. Uh, Where the nominees are... Sean Bobbitt, Judas and the Black Messiah.
1: Eric Messerschmidt, Mank.
0: Darius Wolski, News of the World. Joshua James Richards, Nomadland. And Fadon Papamichael, The Trial of the Chicago 7. What was special about the cinematography in The Trial of the Chicago 7? I don't know. I saw all of these except for News of the World.
1: I did watch News of the World recently. It's a very, very pretty film, but it's also not a new pretty film.
0: Okay. Not a new kind of pretty.
1: It's not a new kind of pretty. Like, everything about it is very, very, very well done, but not in ways that we haven't seen already, I don't think.
0: Mainstream, competent, yeah. I I put it
1: as my runner-up, but not in my running.
0: Okay. Who do you
1: think is going to win this? Mank. I I agree. They
0: made the black and white movie look black and white. (laughs) it's a it's a pretty movie. it's a very pretty movie, who do you think should win in this field nomad land because i'm I'm a fan of dark cinematography doing dark well or, or dim dim is what I really mean.
1: I think it's no contest. I mean Nomad Land is the most strikingly visual movie of this year. I mean, there are other movies that looked at landscapes, but that scene where they went to that wherever that place that David Stratherham was working and then she walked away, the broke rock, away from the tour and they, yeah. the rock formations. I mean, I was looking at that going, why am I so transfixed? <laughs> it's cinematography that gets you on a guttural level. And so I that don't think there's any better. Just missed my no list
0: better. for best edited sequence was the, yeah, the rock. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a whatever, That's a good one. Rock park or whatever, whatever that is.
1: So what's your number five for your picks?
0: My number five is Jay Kaitel for She Dies Tomorrow, which oh, I need to is all about, again, it's all about tone. There's some very, like, showy... There's parts of it that just feel like an experimental film, but it's very moving. Like, it, it's, it's 100% that movie's about tone, and the cinematography just draws you in and, like, raises questions that the movie will later answer, but the... The fact that the cinematography is like raising the questions for you as a viewer I thought was really interesting. And I I just wanted to to uh recognize uh that. So Yeah. She dies tomorrow. My number 5. Uh
1: my number 5 is
0: Mank. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why not? A
0: it's a good looking movie. Pretty.
1: It's a good looking movie, sure. Why not?
0: My number 4 is uh Nomadland um for the hmm. reason we decided I, I, I thought it was really good no problem
1: my number four is Judas and the Black Messiah it's an amazingly shot movie I can, there's nothing over the top striking but I don't find a flaw in it hmm. and there's actually there's one shot that I am still wondering how they did it's a one shot where they seem to move off of a camera tray on a window and then the car speeds off and I'm like how did they do that <laughs> <laughs> like I can figure out how they did it but we would have seen it. Like, the camera would have wiggled somehow. So I was amazed by that.
0: Okay. My number three, Christopher blovelt for First Cow. Um, great low-light cinematography. The scene where Cookie yeah. meets the other guy. Um,
1: Kung Lee. Or-
0: yeah, where they first meet each other, and it's just like, pitch black in the forest. I find that the hardest kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so many times it's, like, the hard edge, mm-hmm. you know, because, like, they, it's like a cheat that we all yeah. accept, you know, right. because how else are you going to light that? The fact that they got that lighting without resorting to that and made it feel, like, immersive, like, I, don't, it's, like, Mudbound from yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. I was...
1: I was sitting here waiting to bring that up. Like like I remember how you talked about that lighting of that hole and I I go back and I watch that frequently because yeah. you cited that. For me yeah. like
0: that's the hardest kind of cinematography to do and so when you can pull it off and it like just draws you in and like focuses your attention and makes the space feel dangerous yeah. and
1: <laughs> without drawing that white highlight line around you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Like Which is very alluring
1: when I'm I've been on some sets where I was do that and I'm like, oh, that look looks good. so great. And then I look at it. It's not bad. It to looks do good, it. but but you didn't realize, oh, but there's nothing really new about that. Right. You know,
0: it's, just, it's just like when you watch an old movie and like the toy boats for the naval scene. Yeah. Like in yeah. Ben Hur, like, you right. know, they're, they're not fooling anybody, but you accept <laughs> it. Right. Like anybody, right? Exactly. It's like that, you know. It's like yeah. a convention that you accept. Like, how else are you gonna light this fucking scene? But then, like, when a movie does it, like, like it says, like, no, we're gonna show the forest at night and it's gonna look like it's pitch dark, um, and you can yeah. barely see, and you see, you can see everything you need to see. Like, I, I don't know. It's yeah. like the degree of difficulty of that, but the whole movie looks great and feels like very natural light lighting and I, I i dug the whole look of that movie so yeah. first cow for okay, me is my number three cool
1: uh my number three is shirley sterla mm. branth Gro- Grovelin i think is how you say it. again most of my technical calories are uh, uh laced with shirley <laughs> this is no different it's all working in beautiful tandem
0: shirley was top to bottom uh, uh, a great movie my mm-hmm. number two is, I'm going to say this wrong, kuyen Tran Tran, for Palm Springs. It's pretty ah. rare for a comedy to have like a real distinct look in terms of cinematography and Palm Springs. Really yeah, dead. you're right. Um,
1: I mean, it's still a little high key, but it's not. It doesn't obliterate the texture you're right yeah
0: and it has a the lighting like really feels specific to the place like there's no reason for this mm-hmm. movie to be called Palm Springs or to take place in Palm Springs that I know of but the the look of the film said Palm Springs to me like it felt so yeah, yeah specific yeah, yeah, yeah. but it also had like a vividness and and liveliness and energy to it just in the lighting in the nighttime scenes too at the Wedding ceremony, just yeah. like it's so distinct, I feel like I can draw every line of it in my memory. I don't know. I just thought it was such a great looking yeah. movie. Um, uh, yeah, it is very distinct.
1: Every time you, every time you say Palm Springs, I just I see Andy Sandberg getting hit with an arrow <laughs> in the shoulder. <laughs> ah! So that's my number two.
0: That's one of the looks uh, that stuck with me the most of any movie.
1: Uh, My number two is uh, Jing Song Dong for The Wild Goose Lake. Wild Goose Lake is a movie, again, another contender for my Drive Award, where I was fully in love with it until about three quarters through, and then I'm like, I don't know what's even going on anymore. (laughs) But... The first shot in the whole movie it is is really a marvel of stylized lighting and um I can't I can't praise it enough. You soak yourself in it and I'm, you I just it's the kind of movie I watched the whole time going wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then like and I I would wind it back. Oh, Carrie, look at this. Look at this. I would never think to do something like this. How I would never be able to even ask for this <laughs> <laughs> as a director. I don't know. <sighs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's really impressive. And my number one is Joshua James Richard for No man Land for reasons I have already explained.
0: And my number one is Christopher Blavelt for Emma. Period. For my money, the what <laughs> the best looking movie of twenty twenty. <sighs> Okay. I, yeah, okay. I'm not going to yuck your gum either. I I thought that it was pure eye candy. I I loved Emma. It felt like it it seemed like it could have been cloying and I just gobbled it up. My I thought it was sure. a feast feast for the eyes. And a great year for Christopher Blovelt, Like uh, very different from his work for First Cow. Same I had no idea oh, that was the same time. Oh, same, same time. Oh, wow. I, yeah,
1: completely different. Maybe well, That's yeah. the career you want. Yeah. Wow. That is Emma with a capital period
0: go from these brightly lit candy colored uh, sets to like the candle lit dancing I don't know I just uh, I just I thought it was a great looking movie
1: speaking of cinematography now we're going to go into a new category of best shot yes this is a singular shot
0: single shot
1: one shot could be a brief moment could be a long one take whatever it be but it's certainly the impact what is the most impactful on you
0: now, what I'll so, say is, if it's a one-shot scene, if I considered it as a best shot, I graduated to best scene. Okay.
1: Oh. I have only have five this time. Can you believe it?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I have five as well. Mine is uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow standing at full height. So not being asked to stand <laughs> at full height, but the actual standing at full height at uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow is a shot that makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense that nobody has seen this guy stand at his full height at any point in his life in this town, but it was such an effective scene. It's like the magic yeah. trick, you know, uh It is, yeah, absolutely. of of it makes you not think about how it doesn't make sense because it's exactly. so it's like like surprising if- and frightening uh and and you're just surprised by the way it plays out. And you're like, yeah,
1: he was bent over this whole time, <laughs> you know, before that. Yeah. And apparently, I think, as Jim Cummings had said in an interview, that, like, that's the image he had first. Oh, really? And that's what he worked toward. And then he was, like, on the set going, is this going to work? And then he's like, yeah, it works. Yeah. it's just when he's right. When his, his head goes
0: above the corner of the door. <laughs> <laughs> then you realize this is freakishly... That's what makes is, it work. right? Yeah. Exactly. And the, and, it, and the expression on his face transforming as he... Like when out, he
1: realizes uh, this is the moment everything changes. Yeah. But I'm doing this, you know. Yeah. This was in and out of my list for a long time. Great, great choice. I, I applaud you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> my number five is from Another Round. Uh, There's a there's a great sequence which I called uh, "Breakfast with Tchaikovsky and Vodka." It's one morning where he's just you know he's 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 it's a great whole sequence uh, where he's pouring vodka and then turns on his Tchaikovsky and the sound design in it is so good the feeling of touching the bottles and touching the glasses and the lights clinking and and there's just, just there's this moment when he's in his I guess living room listening to Tchaikovsky and he takes a sip of the vodka and the camera kind of just descends to do what is a pretty standard silhouette image of Mads Mikkelsen against his like wood paneled ceiling. But it's so effective in like where he thinks this alcohol is taking him, Hmm. Hmm. you know, It's so good. I loved it so much. And then followed by a shot of him gripping the glass, which then is a sound design marvel. But that's not part of the shot. So we'll just just leave it at this.
0: All right. My number four is very, very strange. It could (laughs) easily not be in the movie. It could so easily not be in the movie. It's from First Cow. It's when Cookie has been injured and he's taken in by some Native Americans. Uh Uh-huh. And he's in their hut. It's one of the many shots in the film that is shot through a window or a door. Yeah. From the inside, from the interior. Uh-huh. And while he's recovering, his host, who has taken him in, is doing some kind of a wind ritual. I don't know. Like right. the wind's yeah, blowing yeah, yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like Tai Chi, and you don't yeah. know what it is. Is it, is it to help him? Is it part of his daily routine? You don't know. But it's part. It, it's it's something, and the way it's shot through that window, and it's like got Vaseline on the lens, kind of look like the you know, cookie's not seeing it clearly. He doesn't he doesn't understand what he's seeing. Right. But it's part of. It is like comforting at the same time. There's a gentleness to it. Like it just. It's like yeah. it has nothing to do with anything. But it's just one of those like lyrical touches. In a movie that just, like, helps, like, sew up what the themes and the tone of the film are. Yeah, yeah. That, and it just, like, it really just stuck with me um, as, Mm. like, a piece of visual poetry. Yeah, that's a great So I love that. That's my number four.
1: My um, number four. Also could have not been in this movie, but... Well, no, it didn't need to be there, because it's explicitly stated later. But... Just was a nice visual. Like, there's a there's a moment in the Mole Agent, the documentary from the Chile that I mentioned earlier, where um one of the guests has passed away, and so they have a little funeral. And the old folks' home is like literally right on this major street. Like, there's a garage door that literally leads right, right out to this busy, busy street, and so there's not a lot of room for them. And so the garage door opens and they literally let the hearse kind of roll out of the nursing home. And the, the uh, residents are throwing uh, flower petals as the hearse leads into like five o'clock traffic.
2: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: five, traffic, daily traffic is kind of stopped and they're honking and they're angry and they're, they're throwing their petals and the, the hearse gets through. That's not the shot. The shot is later it just cuts to uh, one of the employees kind of just closing the garage door and locking it up, and the shots from across the street. And you see all the strown rose petals on the ground broken up by the tire marks, and the daily traffic is just blowing past the camera. And it's just like you just kind of see the remnants of people who cared about somebody, and the
0: world just doesn't fucking care. Uh, yeah,
1: It's really great. I loved
0: that. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. My number three is from She Dies Tomorrow. Gotta see this movie. It really feels... Uh, it's just kind of a standalone shot. That's kind of a drop-in, but it tells a lot. I'm just going to call it Bacteria Photography Abandoned. It's hard <laughs> to... It's hard to say what okay. the shot is is of uh, without saying what what, happens but what did it do for you it was just such a composition uh Mm. and strange like an alien it takes you it took me a little while to figure out what i was looking at you know even though it was in it was in a place that we had been before it was like what what going on here Oh, oh 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 and then it there's no characters in the shot but it's informing you of what has happened like what the character has gone through emotionally uh. as well as physically and it's just very beautiful and it's like very composed and arranged um and strange and beautiful sounds like pure cinema yeah yeah <laughs> it's almost like an installation is uh wow yeah that one really that one really stuck with me
1: oh yeah i i can't wait to see it Um, My number three is the aforementioned opening one-take scene of The Wild Goose Lake. Okay. I could never conceive or ask for such a thing, and it's just freaking glorious. Moving
0: on. Sounds like that's got to go on my watch list. I I want to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll at least watch the opening scene. (laughs) My number two is... Emma realizes what she's done from Emma. Oh, you, you mean after
1: saying, talking to Mrs. Hart, what she yeah, said to Mrs. Hart? after the insult. That is the greatest shot. It really is. Yeah. I love how it lingers on her and she's like,
0: oh my God, what yeah. did I just and, say? And the camera move and the way it's lit and it's a yeah. like distinct image.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. It's really
0: great. I didn't. I loved Anya Taylor-Joy in uh, Queen's Gambit. I did not mm. love her in Emma. I agree. I thought her portrayal was very shallow, and the motivation she was conveying did not match what the text was saying it was. I completely agree. Like, I did not believe that she was benevolent <laughs> in her intentions, you know? Um, You're right. I, I completely agree. I, I, I like her as an actress.
1: I didn't think she worked well in this role, but that moment... And the nosebleed moment, the proposal scene, those were magic. The rest yeah. of it, yeah, you're right, were, were some problems.
0: And it's just like it's a shot of her face, like she's yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's a great shot, and she's it's taking in the work
1: of an actor and letting it sit, yeah, and just like
0: she's selling it, oh, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and she did it perfectly without overselling it, like it's very right, it's very restrained, yeah, right. That's my which led two. her a lot, which
1: led her a lot of um, great number two, by the way. Thank you. Led her a lot of uh, empathy during the scene when we are totally siding with Johnny Flynn yelling at her.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> Which helps because she, she, I, she knows. otherwise I wouldn't have any.
0: Yeah. We know that she knows he's right. Yeah. yeah. But she's not saying it. Right? right. Yeah. Right. It's good. Very good.
1: My number two is the opening shot, the first shot of First Cow, the shipping barge on the river. Yeah. Uh. It threw me at first. It was like, wait, I thought, wait, we're in modern day? I thought this this was a period piece. And then it suddenly dawned. It just it sits there and it just lets, like, if it weren't for the shipping boat, it it would look just like we were in the 1800s or whatever. The, it lets the entire ship pass through. And while you're sitting there looking at it, the whole theme of the movie washed over me just watching that shipping barge pass. Hmm. And I went, I am in the hands of a brilliant filmmaker. <laughs> just going like, I know what she's doing. Holy shit. It was a really transcendent experience hmm. for what was really just a shot of a barge <laughs> passing. <laughs> a,
0: long, you know, a very long shot a of a very barge very long movie, shot. Very slowly, yeah.
1: Because the, and then it cuts immediately to a dog foraging in the dirt.
0: Yeah. Her whole plan...
1: Was just laid out there, and I've 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 really heavily been getting into lately the idea of the first shot of your movie being a composition that basically is your theme. I talked about this a lot with um, Lost in Translation, when the the first shot of that movie is of Scarlett Johansson's semi bare ass.
0: Yeah, I I remember in,
1: in that translucent <laughs> you don't have to underwear, remind me. right? But I remember when I first saw it, I went. <clears throat> Come on, what are you doing? What is this? And then, I, and then the title comes up over it, I think. And then I realized that image was a summation of the whole movie. It was sensual. It was ridiculous. It was intimate. It was private. And it was real. I realized that that was the tone of the movie right there. And so when I saw First Cow, that was in my mind in that barge. And I just went, oh, oh, oh my God. We're looking at how things have not changed. You know, the the same economic framework is in place in this time period that we're about to watch as it is now. Hmm. And we're seeing what it grew out of and why it's so entrenched and how all of us are just dogs forging in the dirt. I realized I was in the the hands of a genius.
0: Nice way of sneaking in two shots in the one shot category, Wayne. It's very yeah. Okay, that's very fine. that's very Wade. Okay, all right.
1: <laughs> well, two shots for an edited sequence. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm not gonna
0: waste it on that. <laughs> My number one is from Palm Springs. It is Andy Samberg maneuvering on the dance floor. <laughs> Well Such a great yeah the uh, the oblivious dancers who are dancing around him and he knows every moves are going to be and you don't know why you don't know what's happening yet you don't know why he's able to like this is where you figure out oh he's in he's been in the time loop for a while like this yeah. is it revealed it in this shot but it's like hilarious and it's amazingly choreographed like it's
2: yeah you know there's, absolutely he's got
0: like a fraction of an inch clearance on like multiple sides. <laughs> And he's like making this big face at Kristen Bell. It must have been
1: so fun to do. I know. Like,
0: Couldn't that have been so much fun? It just, it just, it was, it's so, yeah, it's like a Renaissance painting in motion. <laughs> yes, and it, it just, is. immediately it just right. played in my head over and over again. Like when the movie ended, I immediately went back and watched that shot again. Like for me, that's yeah. the shot of the year. It, it, it was hilarious and. Was a character moment, yeah, uh, and a puzzle box moment, like all in one. Yeah, and it it shows beautifully shot.
1: Yeah, and and and, uh, it also shows Sarah's uh, hesitation and attraction to him. Like, (laughs) what's Who is this? How is he doing this? But something is up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, beautiful sequence. I loved it. I love that too. You are right. I feel I feel ashamed that it's not in my. Um, but I'm not ashamed About what my number one is <laughs> Best shot of the year And you've already Mentioned it Ooh. Is the werewolf reveal okay. In the Wolf of Snow Hollow That shot which I believe was done By a special effects shot no, Yeah but it's a practical shot Yeah Maybe the moon I think might be imposed But other than that
0: Even with his legs bending the wrong way I figure. Yes Yes
1: well, that's what Jim Cummings said. Was he said, like, I he just kept digital. wondering, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And I kept thinking it was digital, too. But he said when we shot it and it worked and we were like, oh, my God, our movie is going to work. That was his, I think, is what he was saying. I believe, I, Now I could be wrong because we are a few drinks in, but <laughs> I believe that that, is, that that was all practical because the suit was practical. It looks digital because it looks so inhuman. Yeah, it's uncanny, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't have the Uncanny Valley quality of it. it no. It's right. so it's so unsettling because it looks so real. It's also like, I didn't think I'd be
0: seeing this in this movie. It yeah.
1: narratively yeah. Uh, stunned me. What else so did you have to play back to go, did I just see that? <laughs> they took your breath away.
0: Took my breath away. All right. Well, that was Best Shot. Next up, Best Original Score. And best Original Score. We'll run through the nominees. Terrence Blanchard, *The Five Bloods. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank. Emile Moserri, Minari. James Newton Howard, News of the World. And John Batiste, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Soul. I, All good scores. I saw four of these five. I did not see News of the World. Um, you know, I did take note of the
1: music in News of the News of the World. I really liked it, but I felt like it was modernized to be likable. So for that very reason, I discounted it, even though I would totally get that soundtrack and listen to it. Okay, cool. It, it felt more like Justified soundtrack than what I thought that period would actually do.
0: Hmm. Let's see. So what did you think... Will win, of this I win. I think Soul's going to win. I think Soul will win too. And I think Soul should win it. Okay. I, I have Minari. Um, Minari was my favorite score uh, of the year. I'm spoil it. I'm trying to remember it. See, I just could not remember it. Oh, it really hit me while I was watching the movie. Mm. There's only six movies where I took any note of the score while I was watching them. And Minari was my favorite of those. It was, it was the mm. one that I felt the score was working the most to like add a layer to the film. I don't remember the score for The Five Bloods. Very much. Oh, because I liked there was so
1: much. I liked that so much score.
0: cinematically going on. That it's just like, and you're not, you know, you can't count the Marvin Gay. Oh, but yeah, no, I, no, I did take note of that score, so that's in my top five. I'll go ahead and say it. Um, I want to say the one that's not.
2: <laughs> I'm so embarrassed
1: because I just said I don't remember the score for Minari, and I looked over at my noms,
0: and it's number four. <laughs> you don't remember remembering it. Apparently. I don't remember remembering it, apparently. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, the one that's not in my top five is the one nominated one that I did not like, and that is uh, the score for Mank, which I thought was... Mm. I taught, I I used the word cloying, how the cinematography for Emma seemed like it could be cloying, but it wasn't. I thought the score for Mank was completely cloying and derivative is like let's take some Benny Goodman and like change four <laughs> notes uh, and like call it a score and like I, it, right. you know it just felt like it felt like somebody putting on their dad's shoes <laughs> it, I, I, I yeah. did not like that score yeah so boo yeah, boo.
1: Fine. boo I say yes uh, we're divided on who should win but um, let's go to our who would we pick my number five would be, ugh, even though I just dissed him, James Newton Howard for News of the World, just because it's, it's good music. It's good music. Okay. I don't think it fits the movie, but I don't have much other music I recognize <laughs> Yeah,
0: <here. laughs> right. I had a thin field to choose from, too. Uh, my number five is Ben Lovett, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I don't think it does. Oh. I don't think it does heavy lifting, but that opening montage— um, of the mountains it's oh, there's yeah. not a lot like if you listen to that score in isolation which i went back and did like there's nothing special here but they r- really worked um in the context of the movie which is what matters That's all that matters and yeah. uh, it, i i found it very affecting and we talked about it in the episode of the comic music um yeah during the montages which seemed like like Seemed like it should annoy me and it didn't. I thought it really worked. So um so I I liked that. I thought that, that, that score was effective. Yeah. I agree. My number four is uh Benjamin
1: Walfish for the Invisible Man. Hmm. I don't remember that one. Uh I think it was good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At one point you did. At one point I did. I wrote it down here apparently. My number four is uh Five Bloods. Um mm-hmm. a lot of it. Seems kind of cliche, but a lot of it felt like very, I don't know. It's like, I thought it worked. A lot of the movies kind of, it's kind of a hot movie. Like, oh, definitely. You know, it's like a high gain movie, and uh, parts of the score are like very high gain, like just very amped up emotions. Um, oh, yeah. But also like an adventure, and it's also calling back, you know, there's like the treasure of Sierra Madre. Thing going also on, also being a
1: historical tragedy on many political fronts.
0: Yeah, and it just like felt like it was calling right. back to something, but also just like amping it up. And I, I, I liked that score. So that's my number four. i I'll Have
1: to go back and listen. I, I haven't listened to that score on its own. I think I'd like to do that. Um, my number three is uh, Minari. Is Emile the one I said I don't remember? Okay. So we'll
0: just leave that there. It's a good one. It's a good one. (laughs) My number three is uh, William Tyler for First Cow. Extremely minimal Mm. score. In fact, puzzling at times (laughs) where you're, like, watching Cookie, like, pick mushrooms and, like, Mm. one minute into him picking mushrooms, like, a banjo starts plucking and then it just stops and we go back to silence (laughs) before the scene's over. And it's like... How did you make the choice of when that starts and when you stopped? And yet it all felt, it all worked for me. It like all this, like, very, it, worked, it was guess, an emotional yeah. underline under the, the whole thing. I, I really like the, the choices that are very unusual.
1: My number two is Ben Lovett for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Mm. For all the reasons you just mentioned, mainly because many of its choices, normally I would think that does not work. And yet this elevates. And enhances, and I, I don't know how I did that. So I, I really love, uh, yeah, that, that score.
0: Cool. The alchemy. Well, my number two is John Baptiste, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross for Soul. The thing I loved about Soul is how it created these two different worlds, and the music did that yeah. as much as the visuals, maybe more, uh, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a cheat because it's one composer doing... One world and other composers doing the other world, but i I just thought it all worked I guess together, oh so, yeah, the jazz was very exciting and energetic and great, and uh, you could feel why feel the the character's love for it, but then the before space, I forget what it's called the pre heaven um that music I, I really i really loved um the sound of that that was my first. Movie I watched uh, with my upgraded soundbar, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I upgraded for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, the movie, the music was so important to, to yeah. defining space in that movie, and uh, I really liked it a lot.
1: Uh, and that's my number one.
0: Your number one is Soul. Right.
1: Yeah, Soul. Just because it, it's it's sheer beauty and majesty. It's good.
0: It's like another character in the movie. Um, yeah. And my number one is Minari. So cool. Ooh. I thought it was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And that leads us to Best Original <laughs> Song. This
1: is the first year that I took a robust interest in the original songs, I have to say. Why? I don't know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to dive in there and I found out, oh there's a lot of great songs. Okay. And I think a lot of songs that were shortlisted, I like like I went into the short list and I listened to them all and I'm disappointed a couple didn't make it in there, but they're all good. There's no there's no snoozers in there, I'll say.
0: So I didn't judge these songs on their own merits. I've seen 4 of the 5 of these songs, but I couldn't tell you a thing about any of them without specifically going and listening to them. And so I don't I didn't consider them. If I didn't remember the song after the movie, I didn't <laughs> And there were only three such songs that I remembered. Um, You're and looking
1: at it from a purely in context with the movie. How,
0: yeah, how it functions in the context of the movie. That's that's how I do all of these categories. Why would song be different? Yeah, well,
1: yeah, it's not a Grammy. It's an Oscar.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Is that a songy? It's uh, not a songy. Uh, nevertheless, the nominees are uh, "Fight for You" from Judas and the Black Messiah, written by her and Dernst Emil II. Lyric by a Lyric. Are we going to read all this? No, let's just say the songs. Fight for yeah. you, Judas and the Black Messiah. Her. Hear My Voice from Trial of the Chicago 7. Daniel Pemberton. Husavik, a Eurovision song kind of... Husavik, colon, My Hometown, I believe, is actually the full title. By um, uh, some... Savan. <laughs> yeah, some Nordic. Savan, Katika, Fatmax, Gzus, and Ricard Gorenson.
1: Uh, I'm going to take a shot and say IOC as translated scene from La Vita Devante Sì, The Life Ahead by Laura Pausini.
0: And speak now from One at in Miami by Leslie Odom Jr. and Sam Ashworth. And again, I didn't, I'm not going to say which one wins. Cause I didn't, I didn't go like, go and dive and listen to any of these. I except Husevic. like, do I remember Husavik? And the answer is no. Like it's oh. a fine song. I could not have hummed it for you after seeing that movie. Oh, interesting.
1: Because, yeah, I, I, it did stick with me, that one. Um, all these songs are great. I, I got a feeling that Speak Now is going to win, but the one I think that should win is from The Life Ahead, is Laura Passini's uh, scene. It's a beautiful song, and then if you look at the lyrics translated into English, it's even more beautiful. I don't think it's going to win for some reason. I think they're going to opt for um, something more American, um, and um, typically a lot. Of, you know, I think it's going to be Speak Now, which is fine. Speak Now is a great song, but yeah, IOC is uh, I, uh, IOC scene is the is a spectacular song.
0: Okay, well, give us uh, your number five and four. Assuming you have a five and four,
1: my five is Tigers
0: and Tweed from United States versus Billy
1: Holiday. That's a song you just turn on and listen to because it's fucking awesome. Is it sung by Sandra great.
0: Day in character?
1: It it's sung by Sandra Day. I don't know. Yeah, it's not it's not in the film as if sung. Okay,
0: by her. I was going to say that would be weird to yeah. have Billy Holiday sing a song she never could have it is, sung.
1: It it is a uh it is a uh credit song and it is a song that's that plays off of Strange Fruit. Um in I don't way. count.
0: That's another thing. I don't count credit songs. it has got to be. I know you don't credit songs. Yeah. A
1: lot of these. well, I know two of them are credit songs at least, and uh, but they are both so worthy, despite that fact. Um, I think uh, one in particular really carries out the movie. So we will just leave that at that. But like Tigers and Tweeds, my number five. Number four is Husofik from Eurovision Song Contest: the Story of Fire Saga. It's a great song. It, it's a completely hummable song. So um okay.
0: so you're number three. My number three. This is one of the only three songs that I could have hummed or sung any part of it after I saw it. The Wicked Witch in the Middle. No, The Wicked Witch of the Middle <laughs> by Dolly Parton from Dolly What's Parton's from? Christmas on the Square. <laughs> the Netflix okay. original Christmas special movie.
1: Alright. Which is totally a
0: weird fucking Christmas special. <laughs> Who's Dolly
1: Parton? National Treasure.
0: And she's not, she's not particularly good in it. It's a, it's a. I kept wanting to hate it. I'm like, this is awful. But no, it keeps surprising me. It's not good, but I kept watching it because it kept doing things I didn't expect it to do. It's a very weird, making you happy despite being not good. I don't know if it made me happy. Drugs. I don't know if it made me happy, but it was like, it's such a weird hodgepodge of stuff. <laughs> but it's got this really corny musical number called The Wicked Witch in the Middle. The, the Wicked Witch of the Middle, like The Wicked Witch of the East, The Wicked mm-hmm. Witch of the West, The Wicked, w- Wicked Witch of the Middle because it's the Midwest. It's, it's a very corny song, uh, but it was catchy and I remembered it. And uh, me and the kids were singing it uh, afterwards. So Is this there. the
1: musical equivalent of a ceramic Pig sitting on the toilet the wrong way,
0: <laughs> with its pajamas falling down and its ass sticking up. Yeah,
1: right. is that what this is? Um,
0: I wish it was ceramic. It's plastic. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, it was plastic. Sorry, but yeah, it's
1: my, my one of my favorite vocal intonations is sitting on a toilet the wrong way. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, my number three is "Turntables" by Janelle Monae from All In, the documentary about Stacey Abrams and the vote to ah, judge. Have the vote. To judge? I've heard that song, turntables, but
0: I have not seen the movie, so
1: I've not seen the movie, so I really can't, really shouldn't judge. But just listening to the song on its own, I was like, oh, I mean, hear my voice is good, but fucking turntables is that should be there. Fuck you,
0: Oscars! (laughs) All right. Well, my number two is "White Man with a Black Woman's Butt" by Rada Blank from the forty-year-old version.
1: Is that what she does in the credits?
0: She yeah, it's in the. She sings it. uh, So you do do credits? No, no. She sings it in the. She sings a line of it when she sees the white man with the black woman's butt. She. She sings it to her friend on uh, the park bench. But then later we see a clip of a live performance during the credits. But you see video of it. What I took
1: from that was this might have been the inception of her wanting to start like doing rap at this point in her life. It's that performance. That's kind of what I gathered by that being put there at the end.
0: Maybe. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was hilarious, though. It was hilarious. Yeah. Right. And I could sing Um, it afterwards. I could sing that for you. (laughs) White man with the black woman's butt. Okay, all right.
1: Um, My number two is uh, from the Life Ahead. Is Scene. It's a great song. It's just just great. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say anything else other than that. It's great. Completely worthy of any awards that are
0: bestowed upon it. Okay. Why don't you tell us your number one, please?
1: Well, Ioc or scene is probably probably the best song but for some reason the one that really got me the one that I can't shake the one that has grafted with me is uh from sound of metal is green by Abraham Martyr mm.
0: credit song who a good credits it's it's
1: credits it's a credit song but it it immediately leads out the movie you know that final scene which is whoo, that final scene of sound of metal and then you're you're brought out with that song, and that song is oh, it's so gorgeous and so um potent and powerful and very minimalist. Very minimalist, only three three chords, as you know. And also, the writer and singer of the song is also a screenwriter of the movie. Abraham Martyr is a musician who co wrote the screenplay with his brother Darius, who directed the movie. Obviously, reason why there's a very tight connection between the song and the movie. Uh
0: tourism mm-hmm. at play. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Okay.
1: So I, I kind of figured it wouldn't get nominated because it is so simple and very slow and very fermata heavy and isn't it's it's
0: not a catch-a-tune,
1: but man, it, it it wove with my soul and it stayed there.
0: Hmm. Well, we're talking about all these other songs, but for my number one I have to say No only play Yaya ya Ding dong. <laughs> Wait, what's that from? From Eurovision Song Contest. Yaya ya ya Ding, ya Ding ya Dong.
1: Ding. <laughs> oh, that's right.
0: Ya By ya Holter Ding. in Person. Which is oh man. Really the only song we needed from <laughs> 2020.
2: <laughs> the only song we
1: need.
0: Very nice. Let's move on. <laughs> Maybe we're breaking the episode here, I don't know. Um I think we should don't you
1: on the next episode of you awarded it wrong the categories of best actress best actor best director and best scene of 2020 as you awarded it wrong continue in the next episode you watched it wrong